Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Snyder Cut. I am your handsome host, Jeff Snyder. With us, as always, is the Invisible Man. Invisible Man, how are you today? Anyways, um, guys, what a week. It was a short week, a holiday weekend. What is there to discuss? What do you think, I planned for this show? Uh, yeah, there, there, was, there was a lot that happened, but nothing too major. Um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust out the Collider newsletter. What? That's right. I gave it away, guys. I've been working on a Collider newsletter. And it's going to have a personalized voice. It's going to sort of sound like me. It's going to involve my interests and and what I enjoyed on the site. Um, and I think it's, you know, high time that we did something like this. Eventually we'll add breaking news alerts. Um, so, yeah, I did a little test run this week. So let me just bust that out and we'll, we'll take it kind of from the top from there. I felt like the top story this week, okay? It wasn't HBO or HBO Max. It wasn't Apple TV Plus or Disney Plus. It wasn't Amazon or Quibi. It was Showtime. Showtime, dom- like, it, it, it won the week for sure. So uh, last week I had teased, you know, because I think I taped it Friday morning, and on Friday afternoon we went, this, we went with the story about Taika Waititi and Jude Law teaming up on the auteur. I didn't have a ton of details at the time, um, like I wasn't sure who was writing it or if it was based on anything. I, I had you know Googled the auteur and found out that there was a graphic novel, and, I, and it sounded like it was you know similar, but I couldn't tell for sure whether it was based on that or not. Um, and it was just a wild day Friday because it's like, you know, understandably, Showtime doesn't want us to go with that story on a Friday after late afternoon on Valentine's Day before a holiday weekend. Um, and the truth is it's not ideal for us either. You know, that that's why I think you kind of have to respect it, like, as just an act of journalism. Like, I've got this from multiple sources. Uh, I know it's true. You know, if it's true and it's newsworthy, it's publishable. Um, so, you know, it wasn't great for our traffic either. We probably would have done better with that story had we waited until Tuesday morning. But, you know, I, I had I got a post when I got a post. Um, news, news stops for nobody. And so we, we did the, the Taika Jude Law story and it's like, that's big news, especially to Collider's audience. Um, Taika Waititi just won an Oscar for Jojo Rabbit. People want, you know, he's directing Thor. Uh, he, he may direct a Star Wars movie. Like people want to know what he's working on. So if we've got something before anybody else, of course I want to put it out there. Um, so yeah, we went at, at the same time as, as Variety and, uh, you know, it, it sounds crazy. Because a few days later, on, on Tuesday, Showtime confirmed. And it's like, man, did those deals close over the holiday weekend? Probably not. So, so it is a, they described it as a gonzo horror comedy with a twisted romance at its center wrapped in, you know, biting satire. And basically, uh, Jude Law is going to play a film producer who accidentally traps the cast and crew of his latest production, a horror movie, of course, on the back lot with a serial killer who's on the loose. 
Um, he, I think Taika's going to write it with Peter Warren. He's going to direct at least one episode, probably, you know, a few. Uh, and it, it sounds like a great limited series for Showtime. Then, on, like, Wednesday, I want to say, the day after uh, Showtime officially confirmed this, Deadline gets its own exclusive. I wonder if Deadline was on the auteur, and they were like, you know what, just let them have it. You know, give me something else. Or I want to I want to go with this exclusively. So Deadline reports that the Safdie brothers are teaming with Nathan for You star Nathan Fielder on a pilot called The Curse, which... You know, the premise wasn't, like, the most original thing, but the Safties obviously, are, are, are almost as hot as Taika Waititi. So, for Showtime to go out and get into business with Taika Waititi and the Safdie brothers, it's like, where was every? It's either that everybody else was sleeping, and Showtime genuinely, like, you know, beat everybody out for these shows, or these shows were shopped everywhere else, and they passed, and Showtime was like, no, we'll take them. Um, so the curse is about a married couple whose marriage is, uh, is put to the test when they become cursed by a house featured on their HG TV style reality show. So it's, you know, about this couple who flip houses and, you know, one of the houses that they flip puts some kind of curse on them and, and, you know, they suffer the consequences. Nathan Fielder is going to play the husband. They haven't cast the wife. And Benny Safdie is going to play the producer of the show within the show. Uh, Twitter went nuts for this story. And so it's like, you know, it, that's all you can really do is like you almost can't even control how the show turns out. <clears throat> but but you can control, you know, what's going to excite people. So when you when you say Taika Waititi is doing a horror comedy or uh, the Safdies are making a show with Nathan Fielder, the press writes itself. It's, uh, it was a great job by Showtime this week, and they, they definitely deserve Credit, no matter how it ended up happening, no matter how these shows turn out, these are big gets, for sure. Um, Jennifer Lawrence signing on to work with Adam McKay in the Netflix sci-fi movie Don't Look Up. I'm not sure what the tone of this is, because it sounds like a comedy, um, although it could just as easily be, be played as a drama. Um, you know, I don't know if it's if Netflix sees it as... An awards contender. I think they just announced that George Clooney's next movie uh, is now called The Midnight Sky, and that's also going to come out before the end of the year. So this Adam McKay thing is is also intended before the end of the year. It's about two mid-level astronomers who discover a meteorite will destroy Earth in six months, and they head out on a media tour to warn mankind. Uh, I mean, I assume Jennifer Lawrence is playing one of those two astronomers. It's... I mean, I, I bet Adam McKay can have a lot of fun with this. I just don't know if this is like you know going to ultimately be like a minor movie in his oeuvre. Um, they are you know supposed to work together on the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos movie Bad Blood, and they've just been you know taking their time getting that script right. Uh, you know, I, I don't really have any issue with how long you know they've been developing that or anything, but clearly they couldn't wait to work together. And you know, it's, uh, even I don't know somehow a, a hole opened up in their schedules. I mean, as as I said, Jennifer Lawrence is not doing the David O. Russell movie uh, that ended up going to Margot Robbie. Um, and Adam McKay, God, this guy is just working nonstop. But but as I said in the Mark Ruffalo Parasite story, Parasite is like a, a ways off. That's not. I don't think that's going to happen. Nothing like that. Uh, nothing is happening with that probably for a while. Um, 
that that, that won't start shooting till, till 2021. So Adam McKay probably had like a, a summer or fall slot open. Uh, actually, I think they said production starting in April, I want to say. Interesting. Let's see. Baby Yoda merchandise is going on sale. Uh, you know, Disney and Lucasfilm went to Good Morning America, their, their uh, sister network, to uh, show a bunch of official merchandise. So you better get that while you can because your kids will hate you. <laughs> if you have kids, they will hate you if you don't get them this Baby Yoda stuff. I love how they call him the child, too. You don't know that he's actually Yoda. Well, what is the, yeah, what is the species? You know, what is the Yoda species? The Godai? Uh, ben Affleck got real about his Batman exit. And, and this is an interesting one. Like, you know, obviously we know Ben Affleck has had his addiction struggles uh, without, with alcohol. He's been very candid about it, very candid about his stints in rehab. And he basically said, like, he showed the Batman script that he wrote to a friend. The friend was like, this is really good, but, you know, you're going to put yourself through hell doing this, you know, to yourself again. Uh, and Bat, and I guess Ben was smart enough to realize that, and, and so he, you know, wanted to step away. Um, the way back, I think, looks really good. I, I, I'm a big fan of, of uh, Gavin O'Connor. I like Brad Inglesby. He's a really good writer, and I'm looking forward to this. I can't wait to see it. And, and I, I think it is, it's one thing for Ben to sort of, you know, use his own experience to inform his performance. I, th- I think that could make it a potentially special performance. Again, this is the director of Warrior, which is one of the greatest sports movies ever made. Um, but using it in the marketing is a little weird. And David Poland sort of said something like that on Twitter as well. Like it, it, that could backfire on you. Um, I just don't know. It's it's obviously like a weird coincidence him him getting into the alcoholism stuff in Batman two weeks before you have a Warner Brothers movie to open, you know it just it reeks of sort of opportunism. At, at the same time, I appreciate his honesty, but I I think that it's it, it's definitely opening like a dangerous can of worms using your own sort of alcohol. Like I don't know if it's healthy for an addict uh, to to then be talking about it every day on a on a press tour with people who maybe don't really understand what that is. Um, so, you know, I think it's ultimately for the best I, I, that, that Ben Affleck is no longer playing Batman. Um, I've always preferred Ben Affleck outside of the cape and cowl. It's not to say I thought he was a bad Batman because I thought he was pretty good, but at the same time, like, I, I, I like him as an actor, and I want him making more original movies like The Way Back, like The Accountant, uh, which is also a Gavin O'Connor movie. So, yeah, and, that, and that's interesting, too, and that Ben sort of already knew the director and had some, some, some trust with him if he was going to go to these super dark places, which apparently he does. Um, moving on, speaking of going to, to dark places, Eli Roth is heading to Pandora, but not that Pandora, not the Avatar Pandora. James Cameron would never let anyone else uh, take the reins of his his baby. No, he's going to the Pandora from Borderlands, the Lionsgate. Uh, you know, they, they've been developing this, or I guess uh, the Arads have been developing this for a while with Eric Feig, and Lionsgate just picked it up. And, yeah, it's, it's based on the hit video game. I never played Borderlands. It sounds, like, kind of crazy. And, and, I, and I feel like, judging from the reaction, people were kind of excited about Eli Roth 
taking the reins of this. He obviously has a, has a very sort of dark and demented sensibility. It sounds like the game will allow him to indulge that a little bit. Not that it's a horror game necessarily, but maybe there's some horror elements. So, yeah, it sounded like uh, this guy's a good match for that on paper. Coincidentally, I just wa- rewatched the green inferno this week with stephanie she had never she just wanted to watch like a gross horror movie so we put that on and i I think she liked it um i thought it held up like you know i I like eli roth i I, you know the 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 family film he just did was good um it it, maybe it wasn't great you know but it was something different from from eli and it showed that he can handle you know maybe a bigger studio movie like this so i i think it was smart that he went and did that and show that he wasn't just, like, the guy making $5 million horror movies. Um, so much more in the news. God, what else was there? Oh, I know, I know, I know. One second. Shantarum. Wanted to talk about that. Like, that. that's another example of, like, Apple just sort of diving in before they're ready. Like, they're, like, learning to swim on the go. That kind of thing. So the I think it was Eric uh, Eric Warren Singer. He didn't have the scripts ready. Like this guy comes from the feature world. He's, he's allowed to take a little bit more time. And so the show's in production and it's shooting. And they're like, you know, where's the next episode? Like we're we're ready. And he's like, I don't have it. So they had to shut down production for a while. Give him a few months to catch up on the scripts. That is a costly interruption. I'm sure. I'm sure Charlie Hunnam is like what the fuck is going on, uh, having worked on plenty of other TV shows that, that ran s- smoothly, uh, <laughs> for the most part anyways. But yeah, Shant- Shantarum is something that, God, they've been trying to get this right for ages. I think Johnny Depp developed it forever. There was a, a month-long bidding war, apparently, for this property, which strikes me as odd. I mean, I, again, it could be really good, but... I don't know if this is, like, the kind of thing I could get, like, my dad to watch. And there's just so much stuff out there now. It's, like, you really it's, – it's not that it's a narrow target to hit because the target, I think, is bigger than ever, but I, I don't know if this is bad money that, that Apple is sort of uh, wasting here. Um, Mulan getting a PG-13. I think it's the first Disney live-action – adaptation or maybe the first one in just like a, a few years um, to get a PG-13. You know, this is seems like a war movie. So I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily surprised. I don't, you know, I, I'm looking forward to Mulan. I've, I've heard mostly good things. It's going to really hurt though, if that doesn't get, you know, uh, the China release because of the, the coronavirus, because the theaters are all like shut down. Uh, I mean, you know, they could always release it, a year from now in China, but I mean, you know, piracy is obviously going to be an issue as it always is in that market. Um, onward, there were uh, onward screens. The reactions were through the roof. Uh, and, and again, you know, I, I don't consider Pixar to be like Marvel or DC where you can't necessarily trust the reactions. Um, I think people are, you know, typically pretty honest with, with regards to their animated movies. Like, I, I, there are no animated movies I go to see that everyone would flip for where I'm like, oh, what the hell is this? Like like something like Birds of Prey where I'm like, what? Someone thought this was amazing? So I may have to give Onward a shot because it, w- it definitely was not a movie that I was like hyped to see. It just didn't have that high concept that I think most 
Pixar movies do. It's it seemed like a little bit more of a traditional animated story for children, but yeah, ju- judging by the reaction, I, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, really enjoyed Variety's piece written by Sharon Choi, the uh, you know interpreter for Bong Joon Ho this season on the Parasite Awards campaign. She is obviously planning her own project about. Uh, her her experience, um, but she she wrote like an incredible sort of just recap of of her journey with this team as, as someone who just like one day gets a gets an interpreter gig and you don't know how long it's going to last and it takes you all the way to the main stage uh, at the Oscars like that that is <clears throat> that is a pretty incredible like that's an, an amazing Cinderella story. Um, what else? What else? What else? Dexter Fletcher. Right, he signed on to do The Saint. So it's like, if he's doing The Saint, what is going on with Sherlock Holmes 3? Maybe nothing. It doesn't sound like it's... I just don't know how active it is, particularly with Jude Law signing on to do the auteur. Like, are we going to get this anytime soon? Is is Robert Downey Jr., after Doolittle, is he soured on doing another four quadrant uh, studio blockbuster like is it, you know could does he want to get back to being Robert Downey Jr cuz god I hope so um yeah Dexter Fletcher and the Saint kind of a weak IP I I never it's like the shadow for me except without the cool like tagline about who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men um yeah like what is the Saint it sounded like a bad spy movie like a JV version of Mission Impossible or something. And I can't blame Paramount for wanting to exploit the IP uh, because, like, look what they did with Mission Impossible. This was, a, you know, based on some 60s TV show, and it, for 25 years it's been the best, you know, franchise, live-action franchise running in Hollywood. So maybe they, you know, and Dexter Fletcher just made Rocketman for them, which was probably their, their best-regarded movie of last year, even though I preferred Crawl. It makes sense that Paramount went back to Dexter Fletcher. Maybe they heard something wasn't going well with with Sherlock three, and and again, I don't know that there is something wrong with Sherlock three. It's not like he's no longer attached to do it. It's just this is kind of similar, sort of in a way, um, for Dexter Fletcher. So maybe he'll just develop them both and see which one gets the green light first. But uh, yeah, the Chris Pratt stuff. He was rumored to be in talks for the Saint. That never made sense for me. Uh, and, and so he wasn't in the Variety story. You know, when I posed a question on Twitter, Kroll, uh, Justin Kroll, our pal here at the show, replied, oh, he passed like six months ago. So obviously those talks, even though they were reported, didn't work out. People love reporting early stuff about Chris Pratt. Remember when he was going to be in Indiana Jones? I don't think that's happening anymore. By the way, props to Harrison Ford, who in an interview got... Uh, asked about Force Ghosts and was like, I don't know what they are and I don't care. Uh, amen. You took the words right out of my mouth, Harrison Ford. This shit is so silly. Um, what else? Oh, the, you know what? I, I didn't have time to check it out this week, but um, Collider had an article about uh, the the original uh, pilot for Happyish, the Showtime series starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, leaked online. So I don't know if it's been pulled yet, but if... if you haven't seen that, you should check that out. I remember watching, maybe it was the first couple episodes of Happyish with Steve Coogan. It wasn't really my bag, but Philip Seymour Hoffman and Steve Coogan are very, very different, I think. 
So I'm definitely going to try to check that out this weekend, um, and I recommend that you guys do the same. We got a first trailer for Amazing Stories, the Amazon series from Steven Spielberg. Sorry, it's not Amazon. It's Apple, right? Apple uh, is doing Amazing Stories. I was thinking um, Amazon Amazing. No. Apple's got it. Um, You know, the the theme song kind of gave me chills. I I remember this show very vaguely as as a child. Yeah. but something about that that theme song, uh, I don't know, always, always stuck with me. Definitely planning to check that out on Apple. And it'll only be like the third series that I've done. Again, I loved Little America. thought that was terrific. The the one that I finished this week, which I haven't, I don't think I've even tweeted about it, was Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet. Not, it's like a, you know, maybe an above average sitcom. Um... Nothing about it is like must see or, or or knee slappingly funny. It's just a good collection of of actors. Whether it's you know Rob Mac- uh, McElhaney who plays Mac on It's Always Sunny, uh, to to Cricket, uh, David Hornsby, to F. Murray Abraham, Danny Pudi, it, it, it's like a fun cast. Um, so yeah, you know, but like it, it's like is that show worth four and a half hours of my year? And I would have to say so because I just, I burn through it, you know. Uh, one of the advantages of, of having access to the Apple press site. I, I still am not getting the sense that a lot of people have subscribed to Apple. It seems like it's like a film and TV Twitter sort of thing. So we'll see if, if again, if all these things can exist. Like, you know, why is Apple not just bought, why have they not just bought Netflix at this point? Is Netflix, I wonder if they're even like telling people they're for sale or like, how, how is Netflix playing it when they're, you know, drowning in debt? Um, God, what else? First images from this Chris Hemsworth movie, blah, 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 blah. Uh, nice piece on Collider from Adam Chitwood on uh, 13 movies that could be in next year's Oscars race. I definitely a- agree. No, I missed it at Sundance. I've heard great things about Minari. You know, some of these other movies no one's going to see for a long time. No one's seen The French Dispatch yet. But uh, Minari went over like gangbusters at Sundance. Um, what else? What else? God, I like the big time adolescence trailer. You guys should check out the Red Band. That's the new Pete Davidson movie with Griffin Gluck. It's going to be on Hulu. This was at Sundance last year, and I think that they just kind of wait wanted to wait for Pete Davidson to sort of blow up a little bit. He obviously is the star of Judd Apatow's next movie, which is going to be premiering at South by Southwest, The King of Staten Island. So this is going to be arriving sort of right around that time. And, it's, yeah, it's definitely going to be a big month for for Pete Davidson. I also dug the trailer for Run, the Lionsgate thriller starring Sarah Paulson. And it sounds like a, a Munchausen by proxy kind of thing um, where mom's keeping her daughter sick or, or, you know, telling her that she has this disability or whatever it is, this, this illness, and maybe she really doesn't. Really liked how it looked visually. This is from the team that did Searching. And Sarah Paulson's a terrific actress, so sign me up for Run. Got got a pass on Westworld season three. I mean, what, what they're adding Marshawn Lynch in a significant role, and and Aaron Paul, who I, I love, but uh, I, I gave that sh- the first season of that show like a shot. I think I watched half of it. It's not for me, guys. Westworld got a pass. Um, God, I feel like there was more. I wanted to, I definitely wanted to talk about um, the Bong Joon-ho list that I posted yesterday. Like, 
what is wrong with people? Well, like this was a very fun assignment. They asked me to, you know, come up with some uh, projects in, in development that you know might be a fit for Bong Joon-ho. But it's also Collider. Like, you know, I can't, no one wants to read about, you know, what Bong Joon-ho's version of uh, To the White Sea would be. You know, like, so you got to have some fun with it. And if you put a Marvel movie on, you got to put a DC movie on because I, I don't want, you'll never hear the end of it. So it's like, to me, what Marvel or DC movie is Bong Joon-ho most likely to direct in a fantasy universe where he starts directing comic book movies? Uh, so, you know, something weird, something dark. Something like Justice League Dark, which I know nothing about besides John Constantine as a character in it. That's really all I know. I don't give a fuck who directs Justice League Dark because I don't even know if I'm going to see that movie. I mean, I probably will because it's DC, but I have no emotional investment in Justice League Dark. I put it on the list because it's fun for people to think about what Bong Joon-ho's version of that movie might be. You know, Blade, same deal, like... There already was a Blade trilogy, and the first one was really good. Uh, I mean, I'm excited to see Mahershala Ali play the character, and, and I am excited to see who they get to direct. It probably won't be Jim Bong Joon-ho, but, like, that's fun to think about. And those are really, like, those two in the Hunger Games prequel were the only, like, massive sort of things on there. And the Hunger Games prequel, like, you know what? I think Bong Joon-ho could actually do a really good job with that. The way that that explores class and, and whatnot, or at least the original franchise did. And I know, like, not every Bong Joon-ho movie needs to explore class or capitalism or whatever, but clearly these are, like, themes within his work. As for, like, serial killer stuff, Fincher stuff, like, I was just listening to a podcast, uh, the, the, uh, the, you know, the, the big picture, Sean, Sean Fennessy's podcast with Amanda Dobbins, and they had Sam Eshmael on, and they were talking about how you know, Fincher is Hitch, you know, is like, was like the modern day Hitchcock. And to me, there's a Hitchcock in Wong Kar, uh, sorry, Wong Kar Wai, in Bong Joon Ho's stuff. I was thinking about Wong Kar Wai because the show was canceled too. I'm looking at the notes. Um, so, so to me, it's almost like natural that Bong Joon Ho would sort of be a fit for some of the development projects that David Fincher has left behind. And frankly, I had to narrow it down. Like, I think Bong Joon-ho's Black Hole or Rendezvous with Rama would be really interesting. But I went with Str- uh, Strangers on a Train, which wasn't even, you know, one of my suggestions. It was a great great call by, by my editor, uh, Adam Chetwood. Uh, I think I had to catch a thief on there instead. But Strangers on a Train would be terrific. Like, him directing uh, Ben Affleck, um, even World War Z 2, the sequel with Brad Pitt, which you know, I heard Paramount really liked that script. It was just a matter of the price, and, and Fincher won't compromise on that. I feel like someone like Bong Joon-ho could de- deliver an, an amazing zombie movie on, like, a, you know, half the budget. And same thing with Torso. My pal Mark Andreco and, and uh, Brian Michael Bendis's, uh serial killer uh, graphic novel set in Cleveland follows the serial killer, and, and Elliot Ness is hunting him down like... Bong is the still he's the director of Memories of Murder. Now maybe he, you could say he already did that. He already made a serial killer movie. Why would he do something like Torso? Why would he do something like The Devil in the White Sea? Uh, the, the Devil in the White City, um, which was also on the list. It's like uh, because that that is what Hollywood like does. They say, oh, this guy made this. He could probably do this for us. And first of all, I love the response was just like across the board. 
you know, let him do what he wants. He, he just won an Oscar. Like, how about we just let him decide? I'm not, like, fucking deciding for Bong Joon-ho, guys. Like, I don't think Bong Joon-ho gives a fuck what I think he should or shouldn't do. He should obviously do whatever he wants. He's obviously earned that, and that's what he's done his whole career. And that's why Matt Goldberg was quick to say we should include something like that in the story to acknowledge he should continue making original movies. Cinema is better for it. But let's also be realistic, okay? No one is, no one is realistic. That is the thing about that just drives me fucking crazy. Everybody's a goddamn idealist on Twitter. People like money. You don't make millions of dollars directing movies like Mother. Okay, you don't make millions of dollars directing Memories of Murder. Now, I don't know what Bong Joon-ho's overall net worth is, but maybe Bong Joon-ho wants to live large. You know, it's not by making another South Korean movie or, uh, you know, it's just like you, you, you end up taking a gigantic temple. That's what you do. Uh, it's why Ryan Coogler went from, and people like totally pretend that, that, that this history doesn't exist. Ryan Coogler's best movie, for sure, is Fruitvale Station. He went from that to Creed to Black Panther. Two big franchise things. Is anybody calling Ryan Coogler like a sellout? What about a guy like Christopher Nolan, who dazzled Sundance audiences with Memento? What, a, what an incredible tale of originality. But within five years, he's directing Batman Begins. You don't hear the same... Like, it's just, it's wild to me. And when they say, uh, you know, this guy, like f- fucking Nick Robinson, like who, uh, don't even get me started, never never really had a personal problem with Nick. Imagine winning the biggest, most prestigious award and having a fucking guy like the Insider tell you what you should, you should direct a fucking Justice League movie. Like, my guy, are you going off a fucking tweet? Like, why don't you read the story, Okay. That's not what it says at all. And if you're a script supervisor, you should probably learn how to read. But it's like when Tom McCarthy won Spotlight, did anybody think, oh, well, you know, his next thing will be a Disney Plus movie, uh, a children's movie called Timmy Failure. Like, no. Sometimes people don't do the obvious thing. It's it's just, it's fucking mind-boggling. And unless your name is Justin or Boris or Mike, you don't know the town. You don't know development as well as I do. Because I've covered development for the last dozen fucking years in this town. So unless you're one of my competitors at the trades, shut your mouth. And that includes all the right, like fucking, you know, I, I had an X-Men writer being like, it just, what are you talking about? Even at the people at, at, at agencies, at studios, people at agencies, they cover certain studios. That's how it works. There's coverage agents. And it's like, they don't care what's going on anywhere else. They're responsible for this. I am responsible for everything. I need to know everything in the works at every studio. And I came up with a list of 80 projects. I couldn't do an 80-project list, guys. Had to choose 10. I sent the list to the editors. They said, you should you know, focus on these. Some were my choices. Some were theirs. That's how it works. That's why it's we. We use the collective we. Wasn't you know? It's just so so silly. Um, I thought there were a lot of interesting choices on the list. I thought it was just a fun article. Uh, you know that that's it's grist for the mill. You know, I I got to spend half a day doing it. 
Uh, I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed researching it, going through everything that, that was in development. And the first, the, I think the first fucking reply to it, uh, to the Collider account was, delete this. You should be embarrassed by this. You know how much fucking garbage I see online every day? I write, like, a single article that isn't hard news, and people fucking are like, you know, stay in your lane. Like, it's just, I fucking hate Twitter. I cannot wait to leave. It's a cesspool of just fucking disgustingness. Apparently something major happened last night where half of film Twitter, uh, you know, should have apologized. Nearly driving some young woman to suicide uh, because she made a mistake in a DM that was, like, exposed. Like, incredible. Incredible. Um, what else happened? Oh, we spoke about Mahershal and Blade. He also signed on to this project, Swan Song. Let me tell you, they were trying to get Ryan Gosling for that for a long time. Um, what else? Do, 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 do. Oh, we had a we had a ranking of the twenty best Brad Pitt movies on on Collider, and you know it was a good list for the most part. But Jesse James was number one, and there's like this cult of people that think that the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is just like. And, uh, it's incredible. It's just a stunning masterpiece. The answer to this is is Seven. Seven is a perfect movie. Uh, this is not in dispute. So so I I just I I don't get that. Fight Club. Moneyball. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's just not. That's a very weird number one. I think. Uh, but check it out on Collider. Leave a comment there. Let let uh, Joshua know what you guys think. Because we all have, you know, different favorite Brad Pitt movies. That's the thing. It wasn't Brad Pitt performances. It was Brad Pitt movies. True Romance was 17. 17? Okay. Um. God. What movies did I see this week? I skipped a screening of Wendy last night. It's like... I liked Beasts of the Southern Wild. I am curious about Ben Zeitlin's follow-up, but, like, do I really want to drive an hour to get to the screening room to watch a Peter Pan movie that's, like, looks and sounds just like the last movie? Uh, no. I watched The Whistlers this week. Um, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's, it's a very unique premise, um, but as a crime film, I thought it was kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, it was a little disappointing. Not gonna lie, um, and I and I typically love you know foreign crime movies. Check out this movie, The Ardennes. Really like that one. Uh, what else? I, I spent a lot of time watching Zero Zero Zero. I'm gonna have a review of that next week for you guys. Uh, um, what else? Uh, Hunters. Hunters is now available on Amazon, so I can finally talk about that. I thought it was it's pretty good. It, it's Apparently, it gets more serious as it goes on, and that is definitely one of my complaints of the show is that it didn't always treat everything with the seriousness that that, that subject demands. Some of the uh, some of the Holocaust stuff felt a little weird. Like it just felt when you got like Auschwitz, you know, and. You know, there's this term being bandied about Jew exploitation, and listen, I'm fine with that. Like, you know, there's black exploitation movies, Jew exploitation. That they're like, that's fine. 
Um, but nothing was more chilling in this series in the five episodes that I saw than the, than the opening scene, which I showed to a friend last night, and he was like, yeah, that looks fucking great. Like, the opening scene is terrific because it gets so dark. Um, and yeah, just some of the stuff at the, at the concentration camps, because there's a lot of flashbacks in this series, it didn't always ring true. Um, Logan Lerman, I think, is, is a really He's good. I, I like him. He's, he's definitely growing on me, this kid. He's got some chops. Pacino, you know, it's a, it's a fun role for him. It's 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 just like a little too, too a little cartoony, a little caricature. Again, I really like the show. It's very entertaining, but it's more entertaining than it is prestige TV. You know what I mean? Zero, zero, zero is a little bit more prestige. Either way, it's it's definitely been a, a pretty good run for Amazon between those two shows, and I'll have more to say about Zero 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 next week. Um, what else did I fucking watch? I was like, is that all I did? Oh, I don't know when the embargo is on this. TV embargoes fuck me up, dude. There's just so many things to keep track of. But uh, I did watch the the Zodiac series, the uh, most, uh, most dangerous animal of all. I'd read that book. Um, it's a, it's a weird story because you do vacillate back and forth. Like, is this guy le- legit or is he just sort of seeing what he wants to see? Uh, is he kind of just desperate for, for some kind of fame or infamy? Um, it's cause it seems like he really wants it to be true. And so what I, I first of all, I did not love the first, I did not like the first hour of this show. I was like, Oh, this is. This is kind of like a bit of a chore because it was more about a guy and his journey to find out who his father was more than it was about the Zodiac. Like, I don't even know if Zodiac is mentioned in the first episode at all. And it's like, that is why we're all watching this. So the the first episode is bad, but the show got better, um, particularly in episodes three and four. And by the end of it, it was kind of sad. It was like, this was a, sh- like, forget about what we're tuning in for. Like, this is a guy who just wanted to find out who his father was. And it just so happens that, you know, this led him to to think maybe his dad was the Zodiac. And, um, and, and so that morphs it, it, like, changes it into a different thing that I don't think he was necessarily prepared to grapple with. And, but, but like, but then once he get, once you get like that, that bone in the dog's mouth, he like won't let go of it, even if there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. So, you know, it is, it is a series worth checking out. I would just caution that you do have to, you got to power through that first hour because it's not, it's not great. Um, But, you know, the, the evidence for, for both arguments is compelling and, and, and they definitely do do something interesting with, the book um, in episodes three and four, particularly with regards to uh, Gary Stewart's co-author, Susan uh, Mustafa. Uh, yeah, that that is all very, very interesting. Um, what else? You guys think that I'd be prepared for this show, but, I mean, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. I wish I would you know, I need to have, like, a mailbag. Need to have a mailbag so that when there are lulls in the show, I can just you know go into the mailbag, answer a question for you guys. Uh, it beats me. 
Um, I'm just running down the timeline to see if there was anything else that stood out to me this week. Oh, oh, ooh, 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 ooh. Tom Harper, the director of The Aeronauts and Wild Rose, which was you know, one of my favorite movies of last year, signed on to direct a romance movie called Forever for MGM. Now, this didn't really ring a bell, and that's because it's 80 years old. This thing was, like, bought by uh, Thalberg for his wife in, like, the 30s. So it's literally been in development for eight decades. I, th- I don't know when the last time they tried to crack it was, probably the 70s, but... Wild. Uh, so, you know, maybe, I mean, I, I really like the romance, even though it wasn't like that, it wasn't really a romance um, between Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne. They're kind of, you know, two academics who respect each other. Uh, yeah, I guess it was sort of painted as a romance, but it really wasn't. Um, and, and same thing with Wild Rose. Like, I don't know... It's not necessarily a romance, but I think there are elements of romanticism in both those movies. And I can see Tom Harper being a really good choice for this project. I mean, it's obviously going to be cast dependent. Um, Any any romance movie kind of is. It's all about chemistry, but I I like that. It's an un. It's I wouldn't have guessed that for Tom Harper's follow up. Uh, And I don't know if you know. For all we know, it'll be in development for another eighty years. But interesting. Oh yeah, Uh, man. I, I did want to tell my little my little story um, about this the talent ref thing. So I, I was watching a show, and one of the leads uh, was excellent, and I noticed that he did not have U.S. representation. And so you know, I emailed uh, a, a couple people um, to sort of tip them off, like, and it was just amazing how quickly things moved from there, and like. You know, one one guy was already giving this actor's name to to a casting director in a major project, and I was like, "What if this guy gets cast in this major project because I saw him in the TV series and and thought he was good, and then somebody res- you know respected my taste or, or judgment or whatever?" It's just it's just wild to think about, um, and how quickly, how like overnight, your whole people people's lives can change. Not my life; I'll still be stuck here in a podcast studio. But other people's lives, uh, that that is very very cool to think about. Um, oh, Shannon and Swift, they're right. The screenwriters, they they had a great Twitter thing today. Uh, this week it said, "Tell us something weird you pitched on that never got made." We went in on the prequel to Seven. We loved what we came up with, but it was probably a bad idea to try and follow a masterpiece. Like I said, Seven is a legit masterpiece. Uh, the thing that they uh, were being asked to write was a John Doe origin story called Virtue, which is kind of cool. Um, I mean, ter- probably a terrible idea, like like they said. Like, how do you follow that up? Like, the whole brilliance of Seven is that you don't know who John Doe is uh, and, and what his, you know, reasons or motivations are. Like, he, he loves that about him, that about himself. Like, it's, it's just going to puzzle people forever. So, yeah, picking at, at the roots of that, I don't know about that. Um, Harvey Weinstein still hasn't been found guilty. What is going on? What is going on with this jury? Who picked this jury? Is it full of HFPA members? This guy is so clearly fucking guilty. I don't know how much more evidence there needs to be. What is this jury debating? What are they thinking about? Lock this fucking guy up for a decade at least. I'm not saying he needs, he deserves life in prison. And and a lot of people think that he does. Lock this guy up for a fucking decade at least. What is taking so long? 
Do, 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 do. Oh, there was a troll. The guy wasn't totally trolling me because he was right. Okay, I had said that that uh, Bong had won four Oscars. Parasite won four Oscars. Okay, Par- uh, Bong only won three. He accepted the Best International Feature Award on behalf of South Korea, uh, and so this guy pointed it out. And so I decided to counteract him because he obviously wanted me to change it from four to three. Instead, I changed it from winning four Oscars to accepting four Oscars. Don't fuck with me, guys. I will find a way to fuck you back. Gangs of London, forgot to mention that trailer. Looks awesome. Love Joe Cole. Fucking Gareth Evans. Look, looks crazy. Um, that's it. We were off, you know, we, we were off on Monday. It's a short week. It's a short show. Guys, thank you for watching. I got the light. People need to get into this podcast studio. I'd love to have gone the full hour. Check out my buddy's short film, Bad Furniture, from Randall Maxwell. Uh, it's on Vimeo. It's a staff pick. Thank you for, for watching. Tell a friend. Tell someone you don't even like. Force them to watch my show. Uh, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Cameo, and at The Insnyder. And I will see you next week where we'll talk about more fun stuff. Stay little chico, pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.